With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You may remember, you can send me a text at 2057, email me inbox at rallycheck.radio, and, oh, one of our favourites, we've got Tane Webster, Politics Explained. Tane, good morning. Good morning, Rodney. How's it going? Look, never better, funnily enough. Goodness knows why, but I always feel that way. I always feel so blessed, and um, I can't believe how well things go. I mean, we sort of blunder through the show, and we get such great guests at works, and we've got lovely uh, listeners, and I have to say they're very forgiving, and they enjoy the show, and they enjoy you. They enjoy Politics Explained. Yep, yep. So this this week I thought we'd go uh, do some politics, but also some kind of more parliamentary education as well. Yes. And so the the the, the main question is what are the most powerful positions in or outside of cabinet, kind of from the perspective of RCR listeners and, and the issues that they care about, or that we care about. But before that, I thought it would be important to recap what is the difference between being inside or outside of cabinet? Mm. Cabinet is everything. So it's a very, it's a very peculiar system in a sense, and even MPs don't grasp it, and you suddenly grasp it when you become a cabinet minister because you're still an MP, but you're a cabinet minister, and your whole world and your whole job changes. So parliament is there to pass laws and hold the government to account, right? So in order to pass a law, it has to go through Parliament and the government has to come to Parliament and explain what it's up to, get its budget passed, which is all the money it's going to spend, and get asked questions. So it's parliamentary scrutiny that holds our government to account. And then you say, well, what is the government? Well, when I'm referring to government in this sense, I'm not referring to all the bureaucrats and uh, departments. I'm referring to cabinet. So you go from being an MP to becoming a cabinet minister and part of the government. You are the government. It's cabinet that makes all the government decisions, not parliament. And so you still sit in parliament but you're a minister making real decisions. A good way to think of it would be that a parliamentarian really asks questions and votes, but a cabinet minister makes government decisions with cabinet. So the difference is huge. An MP has almost no responsibility 
And a minister is loaded up with responsibility because you're responsible for all the policies to do with your portfolios and you're responsible for all the government departments that are in your purview. So it's a completely different job uh, and it requires a completely different mindset and a completely different set of skills uh, because you end up sort of managing departments. Uh, On the upside, it's where the power is, and on the upside, you get a huge amount of support. I'm not just talking about the fact that you get a car and a driver to drive you around. You get a huge amount of support in terms of information, um, policy papers being prepared because there's a whole department. They get more staff as well, right? You get more staff in your office and you get departmental staff in your office. You have a big office. I think I had like 12 staff, say, in my, in, in, in my office. Some of them are from the departments who were liaising between my office and the departments. And then some of them were my staff who were basically who I trusted and who worked for me, not the department. And they were keeping an eye on the department, if you know what I mean. So it's a very, very complicated, exciting position. Incredibly exciting. But quite different to being an MP. And it's quite tough because I was in a small party and my MPs used to count how many hours I spent in Parliament and say, oh, look, you've really got to do more nights. And you're sort of looking at them and you think, do you have any idea what I have to do? You know, because you're still having, I, I'd have departmental meetings at 11 o'clock at night. And that started at seven in the morning. So one thing uh, that I personally found a little bit confusing that we talked about before we, we, we've started here, but it's worth the listeners hearing as well, is if you go on the Department of, what does the DPMC stand for again? Um, Prime Minister and Department Cabinet. Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Yeah, on their website, if you look up the, the Cabinet page, it's got, for example, let's look at uh, ACT. So we know they have 11 MPs in total. The way it's broken down on this makes it kind of look like there's basically f- four types of MPs because you have the cabinet ministers, there's three of which David, Brooke, Nicole, uh, and then outside of cabinet, which I'm not really sure what that one means. It only lists Andrew Hoggard and Karen Chua, and then it's got one act, Parliamentary Undersecretary Simon Court. So there's those three categories there, but then we know there's another six MPs that are not listed. What, 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 Title do they fall under that, that that means they're not listed on this page? They're MPs. And of course, again, this is this is another feature of it. So they're MPs like they were MPs before the or I've, you know, they're they're just MPs. They're government MPs, though, so they're obligated uh to vote for the government. Of course they don't have to, they can step outside if they want to, but they'd come under trouble with their own party. So they're obligated to vote with their party um, unless they get leave to vote for someone else. But that's what they do. They're MPs. And you remind me, because again, when you become a a minister or a cabinet minister or a minister outside cabinet, you come under an entirely different um, setup. And so there's an organisation called the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. And they look after cabinet, and that's their list, you see. 
but you still are an MP and you still have obligations. So a good example would be you declare, you now have to declare uh, your financial, what is it, your financial interests in Parliament. When I Pecuniary interests. Pecuniary interests. When I was first an MP, MPs didn't have to, but they now do. But when you become a Cabinet Minister, you also have to declare them, uh, but it's a different form and it's a much more serious thing because you're involved in making decisions of spending money. You know, MPs just vote on a budget. They don't make a decision that um, how money will actually get spent, and so you're in a you're in you're in a double. You have a double responsibility: one to Parliament as an MP, and one to the to the cabinet. And there's another strange thing that's particularly strange uh, when it becomes uh, MMP, and you have a coalition government. Because cabinet meets separate to parliament. So you have cabinet meetings and then you have cabinet committee meetings and then you have parliament. And the cabinet meetings are chaired by the prime minister and if he or she ain't there, they're chaired by the deputy prime minister. And they have an order of business, and everything that you're doing as a minister gets put through cabinet. So you prepare a paper and you say, look, I'm proposing to do this, or I am proposing to have this legislation uh, prepared, and uh, you put it in to get the okay from cabinet each step of the way. And each of the ministers will be getting reports on your work like say you've got a piece of legislation, I might have a piece of legislation to do with local government uh, and the transport ministry will prepare a paper for the Minister of Transport on what it means for transport so he or she can have their say on it. And so uh, that's how that works. And again, I make the point that's completely separate to Parliament. And when you have a cabinet committee meeting, they're very exciting because a bit like parliamentary select committees, they're the workhorse where you might have only three or four ministers meeting to cover off economic matters or to cover off regulatory matters. You know, I can't remember all the different committees there are. And they get officials in and interrogate officials. And there are no cameras. There's no scrutiny. It's all done in secret. Cabinet is in secret. Um... And when you're in cabinet, you're bound by what's called the cabinet manual. And that means that um, you don't discuss the matters of cabinet outside cabinet. And that's to allow non-political discussion, if you can picture that. Like, you need to be able to speak freely in cabinet about what your concerns are. If your concerns were going to be reported in the paper the next day, you'd probably keep your mouth shut or you'd feel inhibited or you'd put on a performance, you know, for the paper. But um, within Cabinet, uh, you can speak freely and say, look, I have a serious, serious concern about this and here's why. And it might be a foolish thing, but it gets explained to you and you say, okay, I've got this now. So that's how Cabinet works. And there's another thing that's called Cabinet Collective Responsibility. 
that when you're in cabinet, you can argue and disagree, and then you basically vote. You actually don't vote. I've never seen a cabinet vote. I think I have maybe a few times when it's tight. But typically, you know, you get agreement and it's close enough and the ones that are in the minority know that they're not going to win and the chairman, be the prime minister or the deputy prime minister, they can just say, okay, we're doing this. You're bound by that. You can't say, I don't agree with that decision publicly. When you're in public, you're a member of the cabinet and you say, yes, no cabinet decided this. You can't say you disagreed with it because that would again uh, be a divided government. Now, there's a latitude introduced with MMP because you can have things like we agree to disagree. And uh, so there has to be a latitude for ACT and for New Zealand First, uh, but the Prime Minister has to really give it to them. Um, so if you say, look, Prime Minister, this is so against ACT Party policy, we're going to have to disagree with you on this and we're going to say so publicly. And he will basically give you permission to disagree publicly. I can't imagine Helen Clark saying that, but I used to do that to John Key and say, look, there's no way we can agree to this Maori, special treatment for Maori, for example. We would never agree to anything like that and we'd agree to disagree. And he wouldn't be blindsided because we would have told him exactly what we were going to say. And so um, you'd get away from that collective responsibility. Uh, also, too, there's an interesting feature of the cabinet rules is that the only referee, this gets confusing for journalists and the public, the only referee for whether a rule has been broken is the Prime Minister. Hmm. So um, that's when Helen Clark famously said that by definition, she couldn't breach cabinet rules because she leaked cabinet decisions once or twice, and when she's pulled up on it, she said but she couldn't leak them because, by definition, she'd have to pot herself. But it also means that you can have some pretty wayward ministers who clearly are breaking cabinet rules, but the prime minister doesn't enforce it and says, no, they haven't broken the rule. I've looked into that, and they haven't broken it. It's a prime minister. Because the political position. You know, you can't have a judge or a, a third party coming in because ultimately we elect our government. That's the point of cabinet. Yeah. Um, now, ministers inside cabinet and ministers outside cabinet are very interesting. If you're a minister inside cabinet, of which I've never been, I was only a minister outside cabinet, which I very much appreciated, although I got paid a lot less money. I much more appreciated being a minister outside cabinet. Because if you're a minister inside cabinet, you sort of go to cabinet all the time. You're a permanent member of the cabinet. And it gets pretty tedious. If you're a minister outside cabinet, you only go to cabinet when you're discussing your item of business or a government's item of business that affects your portfolios. So you'll go along to quite a few cabinet meetings, but you might only pop in for half an hour and pop out, which suited me enormously. And you're bound by the rules for the time you're there. Yes. And because you're not there the rest of the time, you can't be accused of releasing a secret because you weren't there. And I quite like that too. You know what I mean? Because it can get nasty. And people say, oh, well, he leaked that. You're saying, no. Call it the, uh, you know, I don't know if this is going to be funny or not, but the, the cabinet of secrets, like the old Harry Potter movie, Chamber yeah. of Secrets. Yeah. 
No, it is cabinet secrets. And I mean, you can always get accused of, oh, you're the guy that leaked. And you say, how could I be? I wasn't there. So I quite like that. But when there were um, tragedies or tough stuff, for example, after the Christchurch earthquake, uh, cabinet met a lot and it met mm. regularly and was making a lot of decisions and everyone would just turn up because it was literally um, a government flying by the seat of its pants to deal with a tough situation. Mm. And you have officials, you can have officials in the, in the cabinet. Um, yes, it's it's um, it's pretty weird when you walk into cabinet the first time, take a seat, because that's where all the power rests. So if we just uh, look back at the page link, which I will I will put in the show in the show notes. So if we're just going with the act example, you've got uh, David Brooke and Nicole. They have uh, they are the act ministers that are in cabinet. Then you have Andrew Hoggard, Karen Shaw, act ministers outside cabinet. So they have portfolios, but for whatever reason, they haven't been decided to be one of the few that can be in cabinet because you can only have a limited number. And then a next step down, you've got Simon Court, who's a parliamentary undersecretary for. Uh, to the Minister of Infrastructure and to the Minister responsible for RMA reform. And then the other six MPs would be just regular MPs without portfolios. Is, is that? That's right. They're just MPs like opposition MPs, and they come under parliamentary services, not ministerial services, right? And they don't mm -hmm. come under the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But there you go. I think the key distinction that maybe new people will get gain from this uh, from hearing this episode is is the it's the element of who has portfolios and who doesn't. That's yeah. why there's two categories of yeah. of in or outside a cabinet because they all have portfolios, and then the others that are not even listed there don't have portfolios. Yeah, and if you look at the uh, if you look at the ministers outside cabinet, um, it's Andrew Hoggart, and he has biosecurity and food safety. You know, that's not a thing that is going to come up at every cabinet meeting. Um, mm. And Karen mm. Chaw has got Minister for Children and Prevention of Family and Sexual Violence. It's not a thing that comes up uh, every every on, on every decision. Yeah. But when you go to D David Seymour, he's Minister for Regulation, and that's going to be it. every time something gets discussed, he'll have an interest in it. Um, and then Brooke Van Velden is Internal Affairs and Workplace Relations. And Nicole McKee's interesting. She's Minister for Courts, and she's in Cabinet. She could be out of Cabinet, but she's in Cabinet. But, oh, but is, uh, you, so you think that one's not quite? No, but they've obviously put her in. But you could easily have the Minister for Courts not in Cabinet. But you couldn't have, say, um, you know, well, you could have, I suppose, but that's how they've done it. An associate minister is interesting mm. because they have a lot of associate ministers, particularly with MMP, and you become an associate minister. For example, I was an associate minister of education, and you're given um, a particular area to work on. So mine was, it was special needs, what we know as special needs, but it had another name, and I so loved that job. And I had a job also in public-private partnerships for building schools. And so I was involved in, you know, overseeing the building of schools, the political oversight. Now, when you're associate minister, you've basically got the latitude 
that your minister allows you to have. So they could stomp all over you and not let you make any decisions, or they could be very relaxed and in your area let, let you make lots of decisions. So um, that that's there's a big difference between being minister, which is the person in total charge, and then um, you could be the associate minister and you've got a wee chink and that's your little area and uh, the minister could actually say, look, I don't want you to do that and you don't even get it to cabinet, right? So that's another distinction. There's also another funny thing because government has grown like topsy and you'll see that Brooke Van Velden is Minister for Internal Affairs. Now, Internal Affairs has existed forever. Michael Bassett did a book on it and its history. And it just becomes a glad bag of all the different things that governments do, and they all get stuck into internal affairs. It'll be doing birth, deaths, and certificates. When I was there, it was doing the library system, the, the National Library, whole collection of hot pots of things. It was also doing local government, right? So there's a Minister of Internal Affairs, and you think, God, what's that about, right? But the poor chief executive, when I was there, reported to 14 different ministers. Wow. Because there was someone in charge of local government, me. There was someone in charge of the library. There was someone to, you know, someone was in charge of birth, deaths, and certificates. And so you don't necessarily get that picture. There are departments that are sort of have lots of ministers to report to because they've sort of got a lot of different roles that have all been put in the one department. Very, very funny. In terms of power, obviously the big power is with the Prime Minister because he or she speaks for the entire cabinet and they can stop anything or they could start anything. But in a funny way, they have more a role of keeping the cabinet going. And so they've got to be very mindful of keeping their colleagues all happy and the coalition partners all happy. And so they're sort of like a chairman of the board almost. You know, they're not just, uh, they can't be too dictatorial. Um, and the real powerhouse is the Minister of Finance. Mm. Because the Minister of Finance controls the money and all of government turns on money. And um, you can do all you like and have all the great ideas you like. But if the Minister of Finance doesn't fund it, it ain't going to happen. And so the Minister of Finance has an overview of every department every policy, every portfolio, every minister, and has advice on it through Treasury, and the departments themselves have to account to Treasury because it has an audit role. And that Minister of Finance is going yes or no. And you'll go cap in hand to the Minister of Finance because you'll say, look, I've got a special needs school that has got leaky roofs and the kids are sitting there getting drenched, and we need money. Mm. Right? So um, 
I've seen ministers come out of the Minister of Finance's office crying because he said no. So that's where the power is in the machinery of government. It's with the Minister of Finance. And then a prime minister will have what they call an inner cabinet, which is trusted colleagues. A secret, a secret level at the a next level up. Yeah, it's it's a bunch of um, trusted colleagues who will have senior positions in cabinet and have a capacity to understand public policy and politics and understand how things work. And they will meet through the week and ahead of cabinet and decide things outside of cabinet. Now, it's not official, but it sort of works because uh, the Prime Minister knows where the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Transport, say, and two other senior colleagues are, on, are going to be on an issue. And so there's a pre-Cabinet type setup. All Prime Ministers do this because when you turn up to Cabinet, you don't want to be blindsided and not know what your senior trusted lieutenants are thinking. And if the senior and trusted lieutenants think that this is okay, it'll happen. If they think it's not okay, it won't. So there's wheels within wheels, politics within politics. Um, but that's how it works. Undersecretary, um, in my entire time in Parliament, 15 years, I don't believe there ever was an undersecretary. Could have been. But that's just a made-up job. You kick to someone and they, they have a little bit of responsibility, but they don't attend Cabinet unless they're called in. Right. Well, I think we'll have to leave the part two for, for next week, which was more about uh, who should uh, we at RCR and our listeners particularly be keeping an eye on in terms of the, the issues we care about. So but we, we've done the recap well and, and educated people on the those structures. So I think that was really helpful. Well, I always worry about educating. I never, you know, we're talking about it and, and um, people might know it better than me. But um it is. It's a very, it's, you know, in fact, I just scratched my head to think back to how it all works. But it's a, um, it's an amazing system. And of course, it evolved over hundreds and hundreds of years. Our parliamentary system is amazing. And the cabinet system is amazing. And it works incredibly well, in a sense, um, to hold government to account. It doesn't work well because governments become so bloated and so big and so heinous. But, um, when you compare it to the alternative of a despotic king, um, and that's what our parliament grew out of, and it's got this rich heritage of which we are here to, and we're very lucky. I think the American system is a very good system too. Um, if you're going to have government, it's a good system to have. But our system is um, very sophisticated, and it sort of works in a funny roundabout way. Of course, I would have cabinet and parliament and government the sort of size of my bathroom because I'm a little government guy. And once I was in my bathroom, I'd, I'd lock the door and not let them out, because I'm not a fan of government. But the system itself is quite amazing. It's sort of like the English language or the common law. It's a system that's grown over hundreds of years, and there's bits of it that seem arcane and pointless, but then you realise that there are points of it that you'd think they were arcane and useless, but they serve a purpose. I always remember talking to the 
clerk of the house, Mr. David McGee, who is widely regarded as authoritative in the Commonwealth. Lovely, lovely man, very accomplished at standing orders. Wrote the textbook, wrote the book on parliamentary procedure. And I said, oh, what are these standing orders for? These were the rules for parliament. And he looked at me with a wry smile. He had this dry humour. He was an Englishman. He said, oh, the rules are designed to stop politicians talking. <laughs> and it's true. You know, it's designed to keep everything moving and moving along because, you know, politicians would talk forever if you gave them the chance like I'm doing now. There we go. That was Tane Webster. Uh, politics explained. We covered off cabinet, associate ministers, and ministers outside cabinet, and we covered off undersecretaries, of which I know nothing about. And um, it is, it's, a, it's an amazing system, and it's hard for people to appreciate the difference between being a cabinet minister and an MP and the responsibility it entails because you're on the inside of government decision-making, and so there's a potential to give off confidential information and for people to make a lot of money, mm. actually, things like that. So you have to be very careful. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Send us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Thank you for listening. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.